0: Yes, hello and welcome back once again to Longball Football. This is episode 7 with myself, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I've done that one. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> because I was thinking, I was thinking. I was thinking. <laughs> yes, hello and welcome back once again to Longball Football. You're listening to episode 7 with myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney. How's your week been, Barney? Yeah, good man. Um, long johns are on. It's uh, that time of year for me, I think.
1: <laughs> are they the long johns that you get for Christmas every year? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I waited till November. That's I waited, I waited quite a while. But... <laughs> Very restrained. So, yeah, it's definitely the time. Yeah. How about you?
0: You good? Yeah, fine, fine. Obviously, you know, this week, finding out we're going to be stuck at home for the next month or so. Uh, tried to get my last football in over the weekend. Tried to make it a special one. Yeah, was, you know, one or two goals, nothing to write home about. It was a, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to put my mates down, but yeah, none of the big names turned up. You know, it was quite a, quite an easy game.
1: I love, I love that with five side there, where like some weeks, you like, know, there's a guy I play who's just so good, and like wh- when you're in his team, it's great, but when you're not, it's just, it's the worst.
0: <laughs> yeah, no such problems this week. It was perfectly, uh, yeah, mediocrity was perfectly acceptable this week. Um, but it's been quite an interesting week in terms of Portuguese football. Uh, we're both going to discuss some of the news of the week. We're going to discuss. Porto's financial situation but the first bit of news that I wanted to talk about Barney because it's quite an alien concept really for us as English football fans but is the uh, Benfica presidential elections that they had this year I mean it's quite strange for us to even think about the idea of electing an official to our football team
1: I want to know more about it basically because in one it's an opportunity for fans really to have a voice which is which for teams in England we don't really have that opportunity very often to voice an opinion um, but and it's also interesting because it is like a proper presidency, like it's four more years. for like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's,
0: Yeah, it's, it's a real strange one. Well, it was four more years for Louis-Philippe Vieira, who won uh, a final term as Benfica president, who's been president of Benfica since uh, 2003. He won a final term, which will see him serve as president until 2024. But it seemed like this election wasn't uh, your average election really it was a record turnout of voters um and although louis Vieira won his share of the votes uh, was only 64 percent, which to me sounds quite significant but uh, apparently in previous years he's usually sitting on around 80 to 90 percent um but it was quite interesting it almost crept into the english news this week because of uh bernardo silva um who put out quite a lengthy statement on twitter essentially saying um you know. He did praise Louis Philippe Vieira, but he basically said Benfica become complacent. They lack ambition and he was advoc- advocating for a new candidate. Albert why, why is
1: Bernardo Silva so interested in this? Like I he did he even play for Benfica?
0: Yeah, no, no. So he, he he started at Benfica, he was a youth player at Benfica, and this is when the story actually gets quite interesting because Bernardo Silva puts this statement out on Twitter, uh, and then who gets involved but obviously George Jesus who we're starting to realise is basically a bit of a bit of a loud mouth to be honest <laughs> but um, the reason George Jesus got involved was because George Jesus was the manager of Benfica when Bernardo Silva played for them and you know it's quite interesting because we're obviously starting to see in George Jesus's second uh, term as Benfica manager that he's not someone who gives chance to youth players and it seems that that was also the case uh, when he was the manager the first time around so Bernardo Silva I think made only a handful of first team appearances before being sold to Monaco uh, all sorts of stories about him being asked to play at left-back and stuff like that. So it's it's all a bit well, ridiculous. I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So he was obviously quite critical of, uh, you know, with Jorge Jesus and Taraj and Louis-Philippe Vieira still uh, going for another term. He was obviously quite critical, but Jorge Jesus came out in the media. He said quite a long uh, quote about Bernardo Silva, but the the really choice bit of, that, of his quote is when he says um, there are many defects that a man can have but the worst thing is to be ungrateful. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's quite, you know, obviously, Jorge Jesus is not holding him back. Um, but I mean, I'm not sure who I, who I side with in this argument, to be honest. I mean, the evidence is there for everyone to see. Uh, even this season, you look at players like uh, Thiago Dantas, uh, who was like the jewel in the academy of Benfica, uh, who's gone on loan to buy Munich. Seems like such a bizarre situation. Other young players like Thomas Tavares gone on loan to Alavés. Uh, various young players demoted to the B team. I mean there's obviously look, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of a lot of positives about Jorge Jesus. He's clearly a great manager, but he reminds me of Jose Mourinho in that sense where that, that same criticism is levelled at him that he, he's a good manager, but he's not a manager for the young players. You see
1: some of the departures from B, uh, Benfica in the in the past as well. Um, Obviously, they usually got quite a decent fee, like Renato Santos, João Felix, but Bernardo Silva's career, the, like, the way that's turned out, he's mm-hmm. like certainly one of the world's best players, but the fact that they let him go so early, and I mean, I mean like he said, he played a handful of games. It's it's really interesting, and it's just who seems to be the perfect manager for Louis-Philippe Pereira in, in terms of they want to get these star players in, they're happy to spend a fair bit of money on them as well, and that doesn't seem that concern to sort of give the youngsters a,
0: a starting spot. We say that, blindly but such a huge part of their identity and also their business model is selling young players. I mean, like you just mentioned Joao Felix, right? A player who went for over 100 million euros. And just look how much his value increased when he played a few games for Benfica, when the manager actually played him. If Joao Felix had never played a game for Benfica and he went to Monaco like um, Bernardo Silva did, it would have been for what? 4 million euros, something like that. But you give these players a chance. Renato Sanchez, again, another one that you mentioned, exactly the same thing. This is what happens when you give these players a chance in the first team. Their value increases, and that makes business sense for the owner, you know, for everybody. So it is a bit bizarre. Um, I did want to ask you, though, Barney, because, like I said, this is like a totally alien concept to us as English football fans, but do you think it's a good idea? Because to put this in context for anybody listening who doesn't understand uh, what a president does in Portuguese football, this is essentially like... All the season ticket holders at Manchester United lining up to vote for their new director of football. Louis Philippe Vieira is not the owner; he is an employee at Benfica, like everybody else. He's employed to have a role. So yeah, like I said, it's like it's like voting for your new director of football. I think
1: it, I really like it. I think it it gives a uh, gives fans a voice that you, know, you don't usually get. If you look at say, in England, new, Newcastle, you know, fans have been unhappy for years up here. Like it, mm. and. They always feel like they've never heard. They, you know, they can protest as much as want. Nothing changes at that club, and so if you were to give fans that platform where they can actually have a bit of influence, I think it just gives yeah, it just gives them that stronger sense of sort of belonging to this team, this community.
0: I was going to say, has there ever been talk of like corruption within this? But I don't know anything about that. Oh, well, Louis Philippe Vieira is not short sure. of scandals. He was in, he was sort of implicated in. Uh, some kind of football uh, corruption scandal in two thousand and eighteen. I saw an article on, on Reuters about uh, things you've been implicated in, and of course, rival fans of Benfica love to talk about uh, corruption within Benfica, you know, blah, blah blah blah. However, much of that is true it remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, it's difficult. I agree with you. I think ultimately, it gives the fans it gives the fans a sense of having a say. Whether that say is actually realistic is another question, but. It's quite a nice idea. I like it, and, and you know, yeah, it's a the sides of football that we don't really get to see very often. Well, speaking of how things are run behind the scenes in Portuguese football, you've got a new story about Porto this week, Barney. Yeah,
1: um, last Wednesday, Porto announced uh, losses of about 116 million euros, um, which is seems absolutely huge. Mm. Um, towards the end of the season, though, they had this. Obviously, they won it the league. Um, that's guaranteed tar- guaranteed them Champions League football this season, and they've also generated about 100 million euros in player sales. They were trying to sort of spin it in a sort of a positive way. So they're sort of anticipating to be out of um, UEFA's financial fair play restrictions by the end of next season, which is Mm. great for them. But when you like dig into what made them have such a big loss for last season, uh, biggest thing is the Champions League. Um, They were anticipating 81 million euros from the television rights, the uh, tickets, et cetera. They got knocked out by um, Russian team Krasnodar in the qualifying stage. Mm. and then that income drops to 10 million euros which is a huge like you know a huge drop when you look at how they did the year before they reported a profit of nine million euros so that's a huge swing from going Mm. from profits loss. i briefly talked about in previous podcasts how we had a suspicion particularly with their transfer dealings that something was seriously wrong at this club one of the potential presidents has come out um today and made this big statement about how disastrous this is and like really trying to because for me, looking at the news articles, it was pretty calm, I felt. They, they were certainly spinning it, like sort of saying, look, have, you can't take into account these uh, player sales we've just made with like, Alex Tellers and Danny Lowe and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all going to come in, et cetera. And so, and like, you know, they've got the uh, Champions League this season. But it is scary, I feel. I think it's a, it's a huge amount.
0: Well, I think what it shows as well, Barney, is that even the biggest teams in this country, like Porto, you know, the second biggest team in the whole country, it just shows what a precarious financial position they're in and missing out on Champions League football for one season, for example, or not being able to rely on that one uh, wonder kid to sell for 50, 60 million euros every season. It just shows what missing out on one of those things can do to them.
1: Yeah, and they obviously got the sale of Fabio Silva for 40 million euros. That's, like, that's a huge amount. And then they had a few other older, more experienced players going to like Saudi Arabia for okay money. But yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just... You compare it to Benfica, who are in the same position as Porto last season, getting knocked out of the Champions League at the group stage. So that could be very bad for Benfica. It was essentially £70 gone. But I just feel that the the squad of Porto, there's not many players who you could see going for huge amounts of money. I think for me, Fabio Silva, £40 euros. I can't have seen them beating that transfer fee anytime soon for a player. What do you think?
0: Well, I wonder if they would even have sold him. I, I mean, I assume they knew this was coming. As soon as they were knocked out of the Champions League, they knew they were going to be in a bad financial situation. But if they hadn't been, I wonder if they would have sold him so soon because, you know, as I was saying about the Benfica players, you need to play these guys to get their value up. You know, it doesn't just benefit you, it benefits the player and it benefits their value. So I wonder whether they would have even sold him. I just think it's difficult for a team like Porto, though, because they can't bank on being in the Champions League every season if there is only going to be one guaranteed champions league sport every year and there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to to achieve that you wonder whether there has to be some kind of smarter business model that these clubs are operating under i wonder whether part of it is well more than part of it i wonder whether most of this is down to the expectations from the fans you know the history that these clubs have as european competitors porto won the champions league in living you know in living memory for pretty much all porto fans and the pressure to replicate that when the reality is they just don't have the finances to do so. I think it leads the presidents and the people making the decisions to make very rash, short-term decisions that can often backfire. Well, well, one thing I think that's clear for me, Albert,
1: is they're obviously under the financial fair play regulations from UEFA currently. Um, This transfer in that they just had was interesting, to say the least. You know, lots of players within the league, quite a few loan signs towards the end of deadline day. I think it's becoming clear that Contra Sal has not got anywhere near the team he wants they've got this weird balance now where they i i don't know what's best for them obviously to try and get out the group stages of the champions league and get far or
0: or to concentrate at least try and cement that champions league place again next season i think you're totally right in saying that conscious hasn't got the team that he wants and i mean we've already seen sometimes when you see him on the touchline watching his team when they're not doing well just the anger behind his eyes he seems like he seems like a manager who's not in the happiest place of his career
1: Okay, well, so let's, let's not be around the bush. The big result
0: of the weekend was Porto's loss to Pacos to Ferreira. That's what we've been trying to get to. Huge result, huge game. Couldn't believe this. For anybody who didn't watch it, uh, Porto lost 3 2 to, hmm, well, how's best to describe them? Mid table Pacos Ferreira.
1: Yeah, so usually with a game like this, um, we would dive straight into Porto, wouldn't we? Um, We're going on now to them, dropping points again, uh, saying the league is done. When I watched the game, I already tried to take a step back from that. We are going to discuss Porto, but this should really be about Pacquiao Ferreira's performance. I watched their game at City National last week and I think you've watched one or two games in the past, Albert. Yeah. Um,
0: but this performance completely came out of the blue for me. No idea where this came from. They've been bang average all season.
1: Like like I said, last week the game at CD National was absolutely dire to be a complete bluff. <laughs> it was, it was no, there was nothing going on. But I think the clearest change that they made in this game was um, the Israeli striker Dorjan uh, playing up top instead of Douglas Tank. Um, I've been excited about Douglas Tank this season. Um, he's my sort of player. He's like a tall striker, six foot four, I think, powerful, but can finish. Um, Someone you muddy
0: yourself on, shall we
1: say, Barney? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I never <laughs> like to say yeah. it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, last week um, in their game at CGS now, I just felt he looked a bit out of place. Um, he wasn't able to link up with the wingers. Um, he never really saw much of the ball. And he actually got an injury in that game, which meant Dorjan got the opportunity to for his full debut uh, against Porto. He made the front three up with Lufus Singh um, on the left and Helder a Ferrer on the right. He really gelled them together, and he really helped to combine well. He had um, excellent movement. He'd work the channels, um, and he'd draw out Porto's two centre-backs, and Bember and Liet. And this really created gaps and meant the back line would sometimes be, Porto's back line would sometimes be completely like drawn over to one side of the pitch. And the first goal came from this. Uh, Lufus Singh, he basically had the whole left-hand, left-hand side to himself. Uh, Corona sprinting back, tied to tackle, but ended up knocking the ball to Dorjan, who put it away on his second attempt after hitting the goalkeeper first time. Um, Dorjan then set up Lufa Singh, who was completely free again in the box on the left-hand side. But this goal got ruled out by the referee, and this would have made it 2-0, and I could not understand this decision.
0: People listening might be able to see, but I'm sitting there shaking my head, because it was just it was just bizarre. I mean,
1: Dorjan sort of slid in to get the ball and knock it across to uh, Lufa Singh. And the foot, like, and he just kept going naturally because his body was sliding and he just uh, hit Chancellor chance my in the leg.
0: But I don't understand because it's quite clear that he's played the ball. I don't understand which part of that they think is a foul. Do they think because uh, there was like a a gap in time between him making the pass and then travelling, sliding along the ground and then colliding with And um, Colliding makes it sound a lot worse than it actually was because it wasn't a big collision at all. I, I just don't understand where this decision came from. I mean, when you were watching on the
1: TV, you could hear transfer member sort of scream in in pain. Well, of course he did. Yeah, but nowhere else in the pitch, if that had happened, that foul would have been given. It was, but credit to Pakos. they didn't. that didn't. They didn't let that get to them. They just kept going, kept, kept trying to perform the same way. Um, another player uh, who stood up for me was Estacuio in the middle, central midfielder. He's, he's not the biggest, quite a short guy, um, but he plays that role in Peckaby, He had great vision, passing range, and. Um, Constantly hitting balls out to the wing all the time. He's also getting into the box as well, um, never afraid to hold back. And all this was tearing Porter's backline apart. And um, that's how he got the second as well, just bombing and getting uh, getting on the end of a cross. Porter then got a penalty for a handball just before half-time. Um,
0: Sergio, <laughs> he's shaking his head. How many, how many of these handball pens have you seen then? Oh, it's so frustrating as well. I mean, look, I'm trying... Obviously, we don't want to come across as biased at any point in this any point in this podcast, but I've got it written down on my notes here, Barney, Ref doing everything he can to get Porto some points. Because it was just another <laughs> insane decision. The the Pasos Ferreira player is fallen over. He's almost like hunched mm. over on the ground. And I don't know where his arms are supposed to be.
1: No, it's it was a bizarre
0: one. I mean the only
1: saving grace really was that Pacos then got another a penalty of their own for a, it was a handball this one though, um for Miss Morega just sort of leaving his arm from the end of the ball hitting it. Very clear. Um that made it 3-1 though um,
0: and then and Otavio got one back in the 7-8 minute. Um, what a finish because, I mean, we're, we're rightly criticising Porto, but that was the best goal of the night, an incredible finish from Otavio.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I was trying to, you know when uh, Maritimo beat them 3-2 as well? Hmm. Yeah, I swear he got a last minute like goal then in that game as well, I mean, which was a, a bit player. of a screamer.
0: He's a good player and I think his contract's running out at the end of the season as well. So I think there's a lot of... Uh, worried Porto fans thinking he's going to leave them. No, he's definitely
1: a good player. When you look at the class that Porto have and those players like we mentioned Otavio, and then you look at Pacos and the way they performed like those individuals there was there's, I mean for me uh, Lufa Singh he's got a bit of a name for himself he's on the name Braga he had a really good game um, the other ringer Ferreira I think was um, fantastic but then when you look at the rest of that squad, you, there's I no you know, we don't know any of those players at all, they're all new names to us. But they played so well, the back line, the midfield worked incredibly well together. and you could just compare the two back lines really. I mean, Perkins were organized, never out of position, midfield would drop into that line to sort of spread it out. There was no gap support at all. It's it would have been so easy for us just to go down looking at Porto's performance, which we will do next, but I really just wanted to for credit, Pacos, for a, a, a fantastic display. Um, Lufus Singh, who I just mentioned, yeah, I've, I think he's the best I've ever seen him.
0: Yeah, the story of this game is definitely that Passos Ferreira were the better team and they won, despite some awful decisions going against them. Just to talk Porto for a second, Barney, I want to ask you about Musa Marega um, because he took a lot of stick after the game and he put out quite a funny message on Instagram. Um, my botched translation is something along the lines of, uh, we're in difficult times, I apologise, but you lot speak too much. A lot of negativity. So when the good times come back, don't start talking positively again. I mean, let's. we praised him last week. I praised him personally after his performance against Manchester City. So, I mean, I know a lot of Porto fans are completely slating him, saying, you know, he's a rubbish striker, he's got no talent. I think he has got a lot of good attributes, but it wasn't his finest game. And I think he pretty much epitomised the Porto performance.
1: I find that really interesting that the Porto fans are sort of saying he's a rubbish striker. I mean, this since we start this podcast, he's been one of my favourite players to watch. I think he's looked absolutely formidable as a striker. He was playing on the right for this game, wasn't he? Hmm. And um, conscious how went with um, young Evan Nilsson again, up top by himself. A player who I like, yeah, though. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong, he's a good player. Uh, but he's young and it's like his first time playing in this league. I just thought, I thought it was just an absolute bizarre bizarre starting eleven choice. Um, and he clearly made a mistake. I mean, he took off and Uribe off for uh, 46 minutes. Um, then eventually took Moraga off as well, 66 minutes. I mean, Morego, if you look at Morega's stats, they're absolutely dreadful um, mm. in terms of sort of pass accuracy and all this. And I just... Uh, why why, is Morego, why are you playing Morego on the right? I just... It just... It, it's, yeah, it's crazy. And then you look at the back four as well. I think he stuck Corona at right back, and then Manifar went on to left to cover the um, suspended Sanusi if you're going to play Krohn at right back, you know he's going to be bombing on. Mm. And there was just absolutely no cover. Like I said, Leuversing just had that left side to himself the whole game. And then another one, like Like we said, Evan Nilsson is a decent player, but Medi was the top goal scorer in the league last season. And he has, still hasn't started the game for them. I mean, I don't know what he has to do.
0: Bizarre. I mean, you start to wonder what the motivation behind signing him was. Maybe he was more of a company signing rather than Sergio Contra Salesman. man
1: well this is it I mean I think it's quite a statement to take players off half time or just after like in anyway, a 46 minutes for Gruji why would he not make
0: the change at half time
1: I feel like Contra Sales is very much about statements and I, I partly think that that's potentially why Mediterranean is not getting starts I think a lot of fans have been calling for it I think in a press conference the other day he was asked about it and he sort of said I'm not, I do not have to put players because there's like a vote or anything like that I, mm-hmm. I, do, I make the decisions I feel like there could potentially be a sort of stubbornness from him in this situation where he, he wants to be the man making the, making the decisions because perhaps he hasn't been able to make the decisions in the transfer market.
0: Well, to contrast with Porto's bad fortunes, Sporting in Lisbon have had a hell of a week, Barney. They uh, played their game in hand on Wednesday against Gil Vicente, which they won 2-0. And on Sunday, they trounced Tondela 4-0. And it's the man of the moment, Pedro Gonçalves, who bagged four goals in two games and is now sitting on five goals in five games for the league. When a
1: player sort of has a, a brilliant performance like he did against um, did last week, it's. Quite, I feel like it's quite rare they do the exact same thing again, but hat-tricks,
0: unbelievable. Fantastic. And he's really, for me, starting to look like the signing of the summer. Um, it was interesting for me because he played on the left wing in this game. We obviously know that he can play in a kind of central or central attacking midfield position too, mainly. But for someone considered a midfielder, the thing I'm so impressed by is his attacking instinct. Um, both his goals came from late runs into the box to get on the end of the cross. Uh, timed his run perfectly. Uh, and as I said, five goals in five games. The boy is on absolute fire. The question I wanted to ask you though, Barney, was because at 22 years old, he's not really playing at Portugal at youth level anymore. I wonder what you think his international prospects could be.
1: It's that whole predicament again, where I've we sort of touched upon it a few podcasts ago, where we sort of feel like this league is not underrepresented in the national team, but there's better players and better leagues. However, you can't deny this guy's run of form. If he maintains anywhere, sort of even 75% of this form for the rest of the season, there'll be calls from everywhere for him to get in. And particularly, like you said, that 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 age as well, there's yeah, that could be really exciting if
0: he keeps this up. And then I was thinking about this question as well. And part of me thinks that obviously you look at um, the success of players like Bruno Fernandes, and Bernardo Silva in the national team, you might think that might get in the way of his national team prospects. But actually, for me, I think Portugal are playing a system that works for him at the moment. They're playing that 4-2-3-1. I think he could play in anywhere in that three-part striker. I think he could probably play in uh, holding midfield too as well. and be a creative player from deep. But yeah, for me, I'm just so excited to see how he goes this season. I mean, I've just got a feeling that we'll be sitting here this time on the last game of the season and be talking about, you know, the standout player for the whole league.
1: And also, I suppose we should add where he's going to be going. Because uh, if, he, if he keeps this up, there's going to be big clubs sniffing around him.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, other aspects of Sporting's game that I want to touch on, though. Uh, Pedro Porro got his first goal for the club. He showed fantastic technique, Barney, to get the third goal for Sporting. It was a cheeky little side foot volley as well, which is quite nice. Um, and he's been another bright spot for them this season. He's, uh, for those who don't know him, he's 21 years old. He's a Spanish wing-back on loan from Manchester City. Um So there's a lot of high hopes for him. I believe there's an option in his loan from Sporting to make that permanent. Which, uh, if his performances continue the way they are, uh, I think they would probably be actioning that. Um, Well, that surprises me because I I, I feel like his performances have been outstanding,
1: and and for Man City, if they were to let him go, I mean, that could be like he looks
0: perfect Man City right back material for me. Well, you say that, Barney, but then he's also 21 years old. No, he's not 19. Um, And last year he was playing pretty innocuously in the Spanish in the Spanish league. So I'm not sure Man City really saw what Sporting Lisbon have seen in them. Uh, but he's playing out of his skin at the moment and looks, you know, fantastic player, right wing back. Um, Sporar, their striker, popped up with his first goal in the 92nd minute. That made it 4-0. He was signed in January from Slovan, Slovan Bratislava. Uh, so he's joined from the Slovenian league. He scored 44 goals in 53 games for them. Um, and he 's played 21 times for the Slovenian national team, so he 's not someone that we know anything about, but you know when you look into his history he's he, he looks like a real gem
1: the last few games when he hasn 't been starting a lot of sporting fans have been calling him to get that start on the top and um, Now he impressed me as well albert i, I don 't know if you 're going to go on to this, but I wanted to ask you if this starting 11 they went with is do you think sporting strongest because Joe, Mar- Joe Mario obviously got his start. But then he went with Thiago Thomas and no Nuno Santos and Carell starting. But I
0: thought they looked really good. Yeah, for me, the only question would be up front because I'm not convinced yet that Sporart is a striker, really good enough to lead the Sporting Lisbon line. That said, they don't have many other options. So who else do they go with? I have been really impressed with Nuno Santos. I know you have as well. Thiago Thomas, again, really young striker. He looks really good and he's a huge prospect for the future. No doubt he will be playing for Sporting for the next few years. I think the shape is right for them. I think it means that they can make use of Palinia, João Mario, and Pedro Gonçalves in midfield. Um, for me, the only change would be going from a 3 4 3, where Pedro Gonçalves plays on the left wing, to maybe a 3 4 1 2, in which Pedro Gonçalves plays more in the middle and they have Nuno Santos and another striker up front. But yeah, in general, this shape is what's going to do it for them, I think. Uh, the only negative for me in this game. Uh, I know you praised them, Barney, last week, but there were a couple of lax moments in defence for me that gave Tondela some chances. There's really not much to say about Tondela. Sporting did such a good job of dominating the game. They did have one moment where substitute striker Mario Gonzalez had the ball in the back and net, uh, but it was ruled offside. They're currently 15th in the table, one away from the relegation zone, and crucially, they've got the worst goal difference in the league on minus eight.
1: Uh, I mean, from a Tendaya point of view, I've, they obviously got that win last week, which was really important for them. But otherwise, I've not seen a single performance from them where I've, I've got much hope hope for. I thought Sporting dominated this game. I thought they were so good for it as well. One of the best performances in the league so far
0: for me. Well, it's a win that keeps Sporting in touching distance of Benfica as well, crucially for them. Uh, and it's really nice to see them make such a positive start to the season, uh, especially in the season when they look like Benfica, who've outspent any other team by in the league by a country mile might be running in the way with it. It's good to see Sporting keep up with them. That said, perhaps Sporting are benefiting from not having European football this season. Uh, something which we can't say for Benfica, who played in the Europa League this week. They played against Standard Liège in their group game. They made it two wins from two in their group. Uh, continued their 100% start to the Europa League. They beat Standard Liège 3-0. Second half goals from Pizzi got two and Voldschmidt. It was a really dominant performance. In fact, Jorge Jesus said it was Benfica's best game since he'd been there. Uh, and to quote Jorge Jesus, not only because of the three goals, but because we completely blocked the opposition's offensive game. They had no chances to score. It was a high-quality game in attacking and defensive terms. That's quite good for. That's quite a good thing to hear, Barney, because we've criticised their defence once or twice this season.
1: Yeah, just a little bit. There's been a few signs here and there. He's got it working in Europe for sure. Um, I, I, they could a goal let Lech Poznan. But, I mean, it's obviously going to come with time as well because it's a, you know, the two centre-backs are completely different from last season. And it was also nice to see that there's other players sort of being rotated a bit as well. A bit more now. Um, Ty Rabbit getting back in the squad after coming back from injury. Yeah. How, he signed a new contract for, like, for another
0: four years or something, yeah? Till 2023. So, yeah, another three years. Yeah, how old is he going to be? 30. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's decent.
1: Like,
0: you know, we thought his career was over years ago. Class is permanent. worried. <laughs> the other team that kept their 100% Europa League record, of course, was Braga, who beat Zorio Luhansk 2-1. Barney, we were really excited about this game because it was the first time Nico Gaitan started for Braga. And I keep forgetting that he signed for them, but this summer uh, he made quite an exciting move to Braga where he moved back to Portugal after all this time. Yeah, and then what
1: a goal as well to get on your debut as well.
0: Oh, it was a beauty wonderful first time left foot boom top right corner what a goal I mean we'll probably share that one out on Twitter that goal is so good
1: for people who don't aren't familiar with him he he's like a Benfica legend isn't he like, yeah yeah good. exactly
0: so he, he had probably some of his best years at Benfica before he moved to uh, Atletico Madrid uh, so yeah it's in a way it's a bit of a homecoming
1: and then Paulinho scoring as well um, you know he had a bit of a slow start to the season but I think he's starting to get the ball rolling now hopefully more goals will tick in for him The more I watch him in Barney the more I like him he just looks like a complete striker and a real leader He looks older than he is as well doesn't he he looks like a a Fernando Lorenz sort of character or like a he looks like he's in his 30s but he's no he's a really good player (laughs) <laughs> right, so let's have a look at the table then. So um with Benfica playing Bo Vista tonight and Sporting playing their game in hand midweek building uh Vicente Sporting are top with sixteen points. Um Benfica can leapfrog them with a draw at visa as they are one point behind and have better goal difference. Porto are now in third on ten points, six points behind Sporting and Santa Clara in fourth also on ten points as well after a good
0: win at the weekend. It was a good win for them, wasn't it, Barney? Because they made a great start to the season and they kind of dropped off slightly, but it was nice to see them go back to winning ways. Yeah, they seem to do that every now and again, don't they? Like it's, it was just a 2-1, but it wasn't like a
1: dominating performance. But they just get, get the points over the line, they seem. And uh, Thiago Santana as well on the score sheet again. The guy's on fire. Yeah, he is. Victoria now on 10 points,
0: uh, thanks to their improved performances. You caught them again on the weekend, didn't you, Albert? I did, yeah. It was a bit of a surprise game, this one, actually. I wasn't really expecting much. I had it uh, on in the background. I mean, we're both interested in Victoria because of... They're English players. We've spoken about Marcus Edwards. We've spoken about Issa Suleiman. Uh, but Jacob Maddox made his debut in this game, Barney. He was another summer signing. Yeah. How did he you do? Do you know what? He wasn't... I wanted to have a lot of good things to say about him, but he wasn't... Um, he didn't really shine for them. Uh, I think the performances will come. He's played in... He's been integrating into the squad, it's fair to say. He's played in a reserve game where he scored a goal. Um, but, yeah, he... he he will have better games than than that.
1: Lovely assist from uh, a
0: Yeah, and a good goal from Duarte as well. I mean, he's a player that I kind of keep my eye on. Sometimes he's again, he seems to be Vittoria's main striking option. We mentioned a few podcasts ago when Tiago was still manager and he was almost trying to avoid playing him by playing mm. without any recognised striker. So I think it's nice to see uh, the manager give him a chance. Uh, credit where it's due, though, Barney, for this game because last week you were talking. Uh, about Samuelino and how highly you rated him, and he was the star of this game for me. He came on, changed the game, uh, and got the equaliser
1: for Juventus. And yeah, I think I know I banged on about him last week, but I think the thing to bear in mind is that he's only twenty and he's looking like a real player. So I, I'm excited because I reckon by the end of the season he's going to be moving somewhere, whether it's in the league or somewhere else. I, I mean, one of the top three could be sniffing around him. I would not be surprised at all. No um also improving this street where we have uh they possibly fa- i think thanks to their europe league exit if i'm honest i think that's really helped them out um they beat morien's 2-0 on saturday uh, lucas Piazon get two there nice. and they're now six with nine points brago we mentioned they're playing tonight they're playing for Malikau, and a wind put them on 12 points so uh moving above porto there uh, Paco's now up to 8th on 8 points which is a fantastic win on Friday and Marians are behind them on goal difference CD National and Maritima then both on 7 points having played each other on Saturday with it ending 0-0 you, you, you said you were going to watch Albert what was that?
0: I regret saying that Barney we were talking about Maritima last week no we were talking about Nacional last week and I said it was the Madeira derby keeping up for that one uh, yeah you didn't miss anything if you missed that game <laughs> <laughs> Um, then
1: car and Belenenses both on six points. Gil uh, Vicente on with three losses in a row now. So the, despite us talking them up, and I think putting in a few good points three losses in a row is now put them on five points only. Um, as Tom Dea, who haven't looked good, uh, Porton ends on four points, and Bovista and Friends make up the bottom two with three and two points. Um, could say it was an important draw for Friends against Belenenses on Saturday, despite them going ahead again and
0: losing the <laughs> losing the is, again. Barney, what was it? A ninetieth minute. Plus eight
1: equaliser. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing you hope is that doesn't become
0: a regular thing. I mean, we're just getting players heads off the wall, you know. I think that ship sail by. Me. I mean, it's their sixth game now. It seems like it happens every game. Ryan, Ryan Gould though, I mean, he is really making a name for himself. I know, you know, I joke about us being the Ryan Gould fan club, but with good reason because he's playing in quite a poor team and he's a really standout player. And he's he's a, he's not just a talented player, but he's a hard working player yeah a
1: great penalty um today this weekend actually i looked back at a few of the old highlights from the previous game weeks just to sort of refresh my mind about some of the things and um yeah he still puts in the fantastic performances and like you said a really poor team
0: we're going to move on to the next part of our podcast uh, and discuss our team in focus, which this week is Morerenz. For anybody listening for the first time, every week we have a team in focus, which is where we take a look at one of the lesser known teams in the division, me and Barney do some research, think about what players have impressed us this season, and try and build a bit of context around a team that perhaps we might not know so much about. Well, this week we're going to discuss Morerenz, a team from a small town called Morera de Conegos. In Guimarães, which is the same part of the country as Vitoria Guimarães. It's interesting because this part of the world seems to really dominate the Portuguese football landscape, the kind of the north of the country near Porto, Braga, Guimarães, that kind of area. Um, and like many clubs, they were born out of a factory in 1938, in this case a textiles manufacturer called Industria Textile Cuca. The two owners of the factory established a team in 1938, along with a business partner from Porto, who is a Boa Vista fan, and hence why Modernans play with a checkerboard pattern shirt, except obviously in different colours.
1: That's a lovely fact. I didn't know that at all. But
0: for me, though, Vista is much nicer. I'm getting all of this information, Barney, off the Modernans website, which is very helpful, actually. Look, we're going to cut to the chase. To be honest, we try and find as much as we can about these teams, but in this week, we haven't been able to find much. But a look around the Modernans website was a real treat. I've got something you might enjoy, Barney. I'm not sure if you know this, but every team has a official anthem. I don't know, it's no. So if you go on the Modern Ends website, they very kindly give you a free download of the uh, Modern Ends anthem, which I will play an excerpt for you now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't
1: stop thing. it, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you're after a new ringtone thing, yeah, head over to the Modern Ends website, i will be happy to hook you up. But that wasn't for nothing, although it was quite amusing. I'm going to read a short quote from their uh, anthem, which is born small, but brave for good and against evil. He gained wings. He flew high and went ahead. Today, he is big in Portugal. So there you go. That's Monolens, Big in Portugal. Um, unlike CD National, who we discussed last week, unfortunately, uh, there's no European history to talk of. There are much kind of smaller, humbler team from a small town in a part of the country. As I said, very congested with four clubs. Interestingly, Mourouen seems to be experiencing some of the best times in the club's history. Last season, they finished 8th in the top division. uh, And the year before that, they finished 6th, which was their highest ever finish. Um, And they also achieved what was arguably the club's greatest ever honour in 2017 when they won the Taça da Liga, which is the uh, Portuguese League Cup. But previously to that, they've been a team who kind of split their time between the top two divisions. They first qualified for the top tier uh, in 2002 and they spent the next 15 years or so after that going up and down between the top two divisions. As I mentioned, their highest ever league finish was sixth, and they were a whisker way of qualifying for European football, but they missed out on goal difference to Victoria Gemaraes in that season, and their only other honours come from two Segunda Liga wins in 2004 and 2014.
1: I always like to look at the odds at the beginning of the season for the teams. They were eight favourites to win the league, which I think is a really positive sign for them, like clearly rated fairly highly. When you look, I was looking at a bit of trying to find like a bit more about the style of play and how they like to do it. They've got Ricardo Suarez as their manager. If you look at his past, this is his first big job, you could say. I think he's mainly managed in the leagues below, and I do think he's got a bit of a job in his hands. I think predominantly they play like a counter-attacking team. Uh, they like to do long balls in behind the wing uh, for the wingers to chase onto. They had a really important player uh, leave this uh, transfer window in Fabio Abru. I mean, he got two goals and three games from him at the start of the season, and he's moved to Saudi Arabia for quite a decent fee of $2.25 million for them. But last season, where well, you see it, he got 15 goals in 37 games last season, which is. Um, going to be an absolutely huge loss. Pedro Nuno is their star man now. Um, he came for Benfica before signing for ends two, two years ago. He's got two goals and one assist so far. But it looks
0: like they might be playing him up front. I'm not sure suits him and the rest of the team. He's obviously a bit smaller, different type of player. It's interesting because it seems like that link to Benfica might be something that they play up to. I know another one of their most successful players in recent times was Chiquinho who plays for Benfica now. But they actually signed him, I believe, from the Benfica youth team. Uh, and obviously of course they've got David Tavares on loan from Benfica now so it seems like they might be trying to make the most of connections with the big teams in the league
1: well they've definitely been smart with that I mean Pedro Nuno looks like a really good player but then yeah when you look at the rest of the transfer business uh, this transfer window they've signed um, Andre Lewis from Chavez in the Liga Pro the league below um, and he seems to be the only obvious replacement for a Brew like, in terms of sort of an out-and-out striker um, he got 16 goals in 30 games last season in Liga Pro so They've also signed two new ringers who have started quite a few games so far. They've looked good. Uh, Watson Silva from, from Alcao. I had a look into his past. He came, came from Brazil a few seasons ago and, uh, when Alcao were in Liga Pro. He had a fantastic debut season, like 11 goals, 5 assists. He pretty much played every game. And then, the beginning of last season, he didn't feature at all, really. And he got a few minutes towards the end of the season. So that could be a bit of a handy signing, I think. Key that's okay. And then um, another Brazilian, Felipe Perez. Uh, they signed from Hoffenheim in Germany, but um, I don't think he ever actually paid for them. He's constantly learned out. Um, but they both look really good, I thought. And then you mentioned David Tavez, um, loan from Benfica. Uh, I think Key's looked good so far this season. But like I said, they seem to be a team that like to play counter-attacking. They don't seem to keep of the ball too well. And I feel like the loss of a Brew, who can be that sort of focal point, that outlet top, could be quite important. I think Cerveres could be good for them because he seems to be a player who can, in midfield, who can, is a bit more comfortable in the ball. And Pedro Nuno as well. He's, a, he, he's, he's certainly got the ability, but the rest of the team don't look quite like they've got that ability.
0: One interesting thing I noticed Barnum when looking into their transfers was, well, according to transfer market at least, uh, they seem to have more Brazilian players on the books than they do Portuguese. No, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think there's a few teams like that, but um, as you said mentioned
1: previously, I think in terms of Portuguese talent, they seem to look to the bigger clubs and
0: getting sort of loan deals rather than sort of perhaps bringing through players themselves. Right, well, I'm going to ask you for your predictions on them this season, Barney. Where do you think they'll, fin- they'll finish? And you mentioned Abreu leaving, so it might be a difficult one, but who do you think their top scorer might be?
1: Well, in terms of where they finish, I've, I've, I've only really watched them properly once this season. That was at the weekend against Real, and I thought that performance was really poor. Like I mentioned, they don't seem to be a team who can hold on to possession very well. And with the loss of a brew and sort of no out-and-out out strike or someone they can hit long balls to, and he can maybe also hold up play a bit, without that player, I think they're going to struggle. They don't seem to have this um, ability to keep the ball well. They don't seem to have that quality. Um which you need to sort of get points over line and sort of control games for a, at least a portion of anyway. Pedro Nuno, I think, is their best out for top goal scorer. Uh, he's already got a couple this season. I think he's on free kicks as well. Yeah, I think the whole thing this season for them will be Ricardo as far as um, like I say. Big job for him. His first big job in the uh, Liga
0: Nos. Well, it sounds like there's a little bit of uncertainty about how they'll do this season. But if anyone's interested in watching them play, Barney, who are they got up against next week?
1: Yeah, they've got Passos at the weekend, so that could be interesting to see if um, Passos can keep up their, that performance that they put in against Porto.
0: Right, well, to wrap things up here, we're going to recommend you some games that you can watch over the weekend in the Portuguese League, if you fancy checking out some of the teams we've talked about. Barney, have you got any game recommendations for the weekend?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of big ones this weekend. Um, Saturday, uh, Vitorio uh take on sporting. I think Guimarães are definitely sort of showing signs of getting things together, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, I do fancy sporting for that one. And then on uh, Sunday night at eight, it's uh, Braga Benfica, which is going to be a hell of a game, I feel.
0: Possibly Benfica's first big test.
1: Big test, yeah, and definitely potential to drop points which would make it very make things very interesting. And then let's not forget um, both Benfica and Braga
0: in the Europa League this week. They got some good ties. And they're playing two British sides as well. So uh, Braga will be coming up against Leicester City, uh, which would be quite an interesting game for me. That'll be quite exciting to see how Braga stand up against one of the good teams in from the Premier League. You know, it'd be good to test their level. Uh but I think the pick of the pick of the week really is Benfica versus Rangers. I mean, what a game that's going to be! You can just imagine the Rangers fans must be so gutted to be missing out on going to that game.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think that's going to be a good one, and I think I think it could be a little test as well. I, I, it's Rangers, but you know, I always feel like they can get themselves up for a big game.
0: So um, yeah, I think that that could be good. Steven Gerrard versus George Jesus. I'd love to see. <laughs> on And just quickly, Barney, have you got a moment of the week for everyone this week? Yeah,
1: it was quite easy this week, I think. Um, There weren't any screamers or anything, I felt. But um, Pedro Gonçalves' performances have just been fantastic recently. And just to see him play, I think you've got to watch the highlights of this one.
0: If you head over to our Twitter, we're going to be sharing all our moments of the week and general chat about our game recommendations and stuff. You can follow us on Twitter, at Ball. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email at longballfootyball at gmail.com. Um, but for now, it's time to end things with our weekly fantasy football check-in. How do you think you've done this week, Barney?
1: Um, I got really excited after you um, recommended Maratino's CD ton, uh, CD National, so I put <laughs> uh, uh, Rodrigo Pino as my captain. <laughs> 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 so he, he got me four points. My plan uh, pays off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I had, uh, I had two sporting defenders in at the back, so they did all right. Otherwise, no, pretty poor. How about you?
0: Mate, I'm fuming. I'm absolutely fuming. i I mate, put so much effort into picking my team this week. And obviously something went wrong, so it, so it failed or something. But Ryan Gould is sitting on my bench with seven points. I'm not sure there's any sign of him coming on. Other than that, the Old Faithful getting me points. Thiago Santana got me seven points. Marcus Edwards got me four points. Nuno Mendes got me six points. Pretty much an average week, really, for me.
1: Yeah, I'm on 37 points, but I've got... Uh... Darwin and Odysseus to play tonight
0: ah, I'm on 27 you're going to walk it this week buddy. well with that we're going to leave you again for this week we'll be back next week with more chat about the Europa League and the Portuguese League um, but for now we'll say goodbye and see you next week I'll see you next week buddy see you next week man